Greetings and welcome to another episode of CritCast. This is CritCast episode 9, Returning to Warhammer Underworlds. Before I get into the episode subject matter, I am joined here today by Rob. You may have heard of him before from a previous episode, but hello Rob. Introduce yeah. yourself again briefly. Hey John, how are you doing? Um, I'm okay, not too bad. Yeah, I'm, I'm Rob. We've talked on here before. Man, it must have been a year ago, maybe a little bit longer. About um, Oh no, it's only been like six, eight or six months ago. Is it? It's been a weird year. <laughs> yes, yes it has. But, um, yeah, I think we're talking about objective play and stuff like that. Yes. And um, yeah, and today we're sort of talking about getting back into Underworlds, which is something you and I were chatting about a little bit the other week when I had my first game for probably six or seven months since August yeah. last year. So whenever that is now, yeah, about six, six months, isn't it? Yeah, because even myself, I realized well, I haven't been playing much recently because of work when like, I was doing a lot of work-related yeah. stuff. So I thought it was really good subject matter because well people are basically potentially returning to the game uh even people who've joined from diachasm some of them haven't touched their stuff or haven't even received it so i thought it was a really cool thing to touch upon because there are some returning players or like whether you're brand new to the game but this is more aimed at players who used to play and then are decided to come back but even new players will find it useful hope so yes maybe we've Uh, got something relevant to say (laughs) We should hopefully do. Uh, but before we get into the subject matter, like, have you been up to much hobby recently? Because everyone, if you want to know more about Rob, you can listen to our deck building episode, which I believe is episode three or four. Yeah. Um, and you've watched, if you watch my YouTube battle reports, you would have known me and Rob and play quite a bit. Yeah. So have you been up to any hobby recently? Yeah. So at the start of lockdown, so I've, I'm, um, you know, in an extremely vulnerable category with COVID. So I've been basically on lockdown for a year now. And I just made the decision that I was going to try and become a really good painter. So I've painted every day for a year. And uh, yeah, I've done a lot of hobby recently. <laughs> I've painted hundreds and hundreds of miniatures um, and just been sort of doing very intentional practice on things, you know, your non-metallic metals and trying to have a second light source and, you know, all your sort of, I guess, more fancy techniques and in no way am I a master of them, but it's been a, a really enjoyable learning process. Um, I painted a one-eighth scale Wolverine a couple of weeks ago, which is, you know, his head is at the same size as, you know, Molog. So, um, yeah, I've been doing loads and loads and loads of hobby recently. Um, got the whole of Blood Rage painted. I've got the whole of Descent painted. I'm just looking around. I've got the whole of Star Wars Legion painted, the whole of Conan boxed board game painted uh i've recently started on super fantasy brawl which i'm sure um a few underworlds players play as well They're maybe why it's a good it's a fun game there's a little pickup the box is far too big it's actually really got on my nerves it's the same size as gloomhaven um the minis are really unusual proportions so that one um it's been a bit of a head scratcher to paint but they're um yeah, they're a fun, sort of fun paint, but in a, in a different way, you know. And then, um, yeah, just recently got back on my Underworlds and I've been doing my, uh, see, this is, you can tell I haven't played for a while, Mirathi's Purifiers? Myari's Purifiers. Purifiers. I, I want to call them Iltharis Guardians, but I know that's not correct. No, that's a hyper wall burn. That's, that's really good, lot, like lots of painting. I myself have just been... Uh, 
or doing content work, really. I've been like the good thing. I got all my Beast Grave warbands painted, but now with this like release day lag for Diachasm, like yeah. thank goodness for that because I really <laughs> hate the back to back releases. But it's given me time to paint. So like paint up Diachasm. I don't want to paint my RS purifiers. I will, but I'll just leave them to last. Like, oh, they're really cool. Do you think they're really no, they cool are. Models? My my problem with Games Workshop miniatures at the moment is they look amazing, but they're terrible to paint because they have like so many extra minor details which add yeah. time to painting the miniature. Too complex. Yes. Too complex. I was saying to you, so, so before we recorded this, one of the other things I've been painting recently is Rumble Slam, which is um, by TT Combat. It's uh, a wrestling board game. So it's a, a sort of Blood Bowl type thing, but for wrestling. And it's really good fun. The game takes like 45 minutes. Um, and the models for that, you know, it's some muscly dude in a leotard. So, it's, <laughs> you know, well, it's like, you get to uh, practice like... your blends and stuff like that without them being covered in skulls and hourglasses and crystals and spikes and whatever. Um, well, it's like comparing to, like, my race purifiers to the Starblood Stalkers. The Starblood Stalkers at least don't have too many details. Mm-hmm. Like, the chameleon skink is a bit guilty because he's got a rope, then a frog holding his darts. Yeah. But generally, they don't have much. The bases are annoying because they're quite busy. But then you look at Myra's purifiers and they've got backpacks, they've got all these little trinkets. Like, they've got large flat areas, but then they've got all this, like, not ribbed, but lined details. Yeah. It becomes frustrating to paint. The, but I mean, I've also been getting the back... bits that got on my nerves, actually. Yes. And like mine I've... are just the color of the undershade. <laughs> I think. <laughs> Uh, but I've also been getting back into Warhammer 40,000 recently because right. they've just released the new Drukhari Codex, a Dark Elder. Okay. I've, like, Elder was my first army, so I've been playing Elder in general for a long time. So. Yeah. I painted yeah, I was... my first Elder uh, in January, which was a Farseer, and it was a joy. Uh... really enjoyed painting that. It's the yes. old one out of the um, Start Collecting box. Yeah, these, yeah. yeah the these are lovely one. little mini. Well, it's like, I like... War game. I haven't done war games in general in a while, and I've got more free time, so I wanted to paint. Yeah. Uh, so it's just, yeah, you know, I've got my collector's edition. I've got all like the collector edition elder books. So it's just going back to my roots because Underworlds is a bit weird. But um, I imagine I it's think... easier to get a game of Underworlds in at the moment than it is to get a game of 40k. <laughs> yeah, but it's like all my friends and like just people I know in general, like when we are eventually allowed out again, I it's more likely for me to get a game of uh, 40k than Underworlds sure. at the moment. I mean, it's, it's, it's like, I just like the background of 40k. Like, the background is so good. And it's just the codex. It, it's strong competitively, but it's strong narratively as well. So I can feel I can finally play a force which represents, like, the Drukhari going out to raid while still being competitively viable. Right. I, I mean, I haven't played for... <laughs> this, this ages me, right? I haven't played 40k since second edition. But mostly I played Rogue Trader. You. Oh, gosh. Yeah. yeah this is, so, well, before we go into like old age talking about Warhammer, <laughs> let's talk about Warhammer Underworlds. So, yeah, this is like we're only seven minutes in now. Well, it's fine. So, if, you, if you've managed to bear through these random words of different games you've probably never heard of or played <laughs> and 40K, then we're like, yeah, we're talking about Warhammer Underworlds and returning to the game. Because especially if you've, it's not so bad if you just like stop playing with Beastgrave, but I find it's quite a mountain to get into if you played, if you stop playing at Night Vault or even Shadespire, because there's just 
there's a lot of rules bloat, let's be fair. Like, Underworlds has become quite clunky, shall we say. I think, yeah, it's interesting because I started playing in Nightfall and I played very consistently, you know, going to probably a tournament a month all the way up until uh, when lockdown started in the UK, which was March last year. And then I ran an online uh, webcam tournament and we well, it was a league, and we didn't really intend for it to be competitive. It was more just to sort of keep us playing and keep us chatting. And that was when we, we you know, we thought lockdown was going to be three months. Um, so we all sort of carried on playing consistently for three months, and then it slowly sort of pitted out as we've as we've sort of gone on. And um, yeah, so like I say, my last game would well, last game was last week against you, but prior to that would have been August, maybe July last year. Um, and it's been a bit of an odd thing because obviously when you're playing that regularly, and you know, it's how we know each other, right, from going to all these tournaments, and you're playing competitively that frequently, you're sort of really on board the meta and the latest card releases and so sort of being able to you know predict or at least have a guess at what your opponent's trying to do and actually having no practice having a whole season of cards that i'm used to being cycled out having a whole new season of cards that i don't know coming in it's been a bit of a you know like trying to build a deck was a bit of a, a baptism of fire on top of which there's been a whole bunch of some of them have been rule changes, some of them have been clarifications, and some of them have just sort of been concreting stuff that I guess was in the FAQ. Or, you know, I think you were you were telling me before the stream that it's now in the core rule book you can only have six surges, whereas yeah. previously that was only a tournament rule. And it didn't, yes. you know, I, in no way would that affected my deck building. But there is a lot more. Uh, I guess a lot more rules like that that you just have to be a bit more aware of. And yeah, token I think management. Like a, token management. And like keywords thing. as well. Yeah, keywords. Yeah, like I think token management is my biggest criticism of this season. Like that's why I always call it countercasm because <laughs> it's a better name than diachasm. But it's like, especially if you come into a diachasm, you've got to learn keywords, which if you've been playing other games workshop systems you'll be familiar with but then you've got all these counter mechanics and i find while i think the diachasm course is good for a new player it's really bad even for a returning player because the war bands like especially my Iris purifiers they have a lot of counter mm-hmm. so it's difficult because not only are you trying to keep track of the game and your cards now you have an extra resource you have to keep track of and if you're playing against them you have to keep track of it as well because you can use those aether court counters uh, different things yeah and i haven't got i suppose a clue what they do yes. um, like i mean i'm only able to keep up partly just because i helped test everything yeah, so sure. like i've already seen it in advance but it, like as a new player like even i have difficulty returning to it like when i was playing our friend chris yeah. against his mario's purifiers i was like oh wow i totally forgot he was using um what do you call them Aether Quartz for different things because their cards allow you to use Aether Quartz counters for different things. And then they have power cards that allow you to use them in, if you've still got them, the card has this effect and stuff, right? Yes. Yeah. It's interesting because uh, I think one of the things that really attracted me to 
Shade Spire. Well, I st- like I said, I started playing in Nightfall, but everyone called it Shade Spire. That attracts me to Underworld. So there you go. That's the correct word, isn't it? Um, was this sort of quite simple rule set. And at the time, I thought, oh, I can just buy this box game and play it. And of course, you can't. You buy the box game and you play it once or twice and then go, oh, I might get that other warband. And then you get some good cards with that warband. And yeah, you get reeled in. Quite quickly, you've bought everything. Although I think if you buy everything that's competitively usable at the moment for Underworld, so if you went and bought it all tomorrow, it's going to be cheaper than putting an army on the table for 40k or AOS, isn't it? If you were just buying an entire season, yes, but yeah. the, the problem, other problem is prices keep going up every season, but that, that's another thing entirely. Yeah, yeah, no, well, we can get bogged down in it if you want, but it doesn't really feel the point of why we, you know, you asked me to chat today. But I think there was a really clear, simple rule set, and now it is, it's, you know, it's denser. And I suppose that's the nature of any uh, tabletop game that evolves over time, isn't it? You know, if I was Games Workshop, I'd absolutely be making my newer stuff slightly better than my older stuff because that's just good business, right? Well, power creep is an essential... Like, I know people hate it, but power creep is an essential aspect to any continuing game system because... So, like, I think the problem you'll find in this season is... Generally, the power level is pretty consistent overall. There's no card that scream out like, wow, this is amazing, from what we've seen anyway. Yeah. And while that's great for a competitive game, if you're already invested, when all of a sudden you go like, <sighs> some players will go, why should I buy new stuff if my old stuff is fine? And there's no real incentive to. Exactly. So exactly. Yeah. You've got this kind of like catch-22 now where rotation is kind of forcing you to buy new cards. Yeah. But it's... Uh, power creep always happen, especially I, I, uh, with how a game develops and people get more familiar with making the game. They'll yeah. just make it more refined. So, sorry, I'd, I'd suspect that to be true of any game system. You know, I, I assume yes. that if you go and buy a Magic Booster Pack today, it's better than a Magic Booster Pack that came out a few years ago. Yes. But I think it, like it's just a, a natural thing. Yeah. Obviously, I think what people assume with power creep is bad power creep, where like, let's face it, like Power Unbound, that was bad power creep. Like where all of a sudden, like we had the leaders pack, which wasn't that great. Yeah. So we're talking about extra cards that were released outside of a season. Well, outside of the warband release schedule yeah. inside a season, that was like not well receptive. And you could see with Arena Mortis, it was more toned down. But then it looks like we're going to have to restrict most of the good Arena Mortis cards. There's unfortunately, there's a few insane upgrades in there, isn't there? A few that you just it, go, That's, why? Why wouldn't everyone put this ability yeah. in their deck? You know, it's amazing. But I feel like the Underworld currently has gotten more competitive at the cost of being easy to pick up and play. So, like, it's better for the competitive players who are invested in the game. But if you're a new player, as as we've said, it's very difficult to pass the veil, like penetrate that wall and get into the game comfortably because, as I said, you've got all this token management, you've got hunger counters... Uh, you've also got the primacy token, like primacy mm. in general, which we'll cover as well. So it's it's re- you have to be kind of prepared for that, knowing that you're going to be getting into a game that's quite established now. And especially if you've been playing before, things are similar but slightly different. Yeah. 
but it's it's the same but not the same <laughs> yes i think one really good thing is games workshop have made the rules book rules book free online so you just have to go on the warhammer underworld's website and you can download it so i'd recommend thoroughly reading it because you know you, you have the the main thing is read the rules first because the biggest issue i find is people just skim the rules going oh yeah you know i've played this before i know what this does and they'll miss all of the minor changes because that's what we've been getting after Night Vault, just minor tweaks here and there. Because I think the biggest change in Night, Night Vault was where the game changed the most like drastically between seasons. What then what changed the most there? Because obviously So in Night Vault we had before. magic added. Right. They changed how tokens work completely. So before after you did a move action, tokens well, after you did an action, tokens show you did that. Whereas tokens now denote that you've done something. So instead of you placing yeah. tokens to show you've done something now the tokens have indicated that you have done them. So even if you lost a move token in Shadespire, you'd still count as being moved. Yeah. Whereas in Night Vault, if you lost a move token and you had no move tokens, you could move again. Right, sure, got you. And I think a lot of that um, actually was essential to the rules because it's a lot yeah. of it is cleaning them up and things like, you know, there's a card if every fighter's taken a move action, but then they'll have cleaned that up now to be if every fighter move has token. a move token. Yeah, it was like March of the Dead. If that was written today, that would just say uh, score two glory in the end phase if like five or more fighters have moved tokens. Yeah, and stuff like that. And I think that's I think that's a good thing. Although frustrating, if I used to love Potion of Grace, that was one of my favourite <laughs> cards. But then I wouldn't run any of those movement cards, I suppose. But, um, so I think that stuff's kind of essential for a competitive game. And when I think about you know, the early tournaments I went to and stuff, there'd often be little bits where games would pause and people would be discussing what a card meant and how they interacted with each other and that sort of thing. And that feels like it's gone away. We don't get that as much anymore. Or if you do, it's like, can I do this? Oh, what does it say? Oh, it's after this step. Oh, well, yeah, you can't do that. Oh, no, fair enough. And it's really black and white. And I think that's really important for a game, you know, that is played for the most part competitively and at tournaments and designed to be quite quick. So I think yes. I'm, I'm really positive on all that stuff. I'm less positive on, you know, the amount of tokens I have to move around the board and keep track of and things like that. Although yeah. I imagine a lot of that will be easier in person. I think. Uh, a bit, yeah. Like, cause at the moment we're playing via webcam and like yeah. other online methods. So it's it's easier in person because you can just see where everything is more easily. You can you know you can ask your opponent slightly more comfortably. What, what's that upgrade or what does that token mean or whatever? Or if you're not quite sure, you can try and do a sly glance if you know you don't want to give away your game plan. Um, well, I think like before going into like steps, I think the biggest thing as a returning player is like this is just in general for Warhammer Underworld. It's a good skill, but you should never feel uncomfortable about asking your opponent questions about what, what does that card do? What does this do? What does that do? Yeah. Never feel like bad about asking that because that's a core rule. Like you're allowed to ask your opponent. Your opponent can't just go, no. Yeah. Go, it's it's an open information game, isn't it? Yeah. The, it's interesting because um, I watched you play, in fact, Chris, it was when you said about into his purifiers. I watched the, that best of three. And if anyone hasn't watched it, it's actually a really good set of games. It was the one that sort of got oh, thank you. the set. That it was uh, with my Cagra's Ravages against his Yeah, your Ravages and his purifiers. And 
the first game wasn't going your way and I could hear it in your voice. You saw an, oh, <laughs> you know, I think oh, at that point, I'm like, oh, I don't think John's winning this. But you, <laughs> you played the game out and I could tell as you were playing, you're sort of paying attention to what your opponent's deck's doing because then your next game, if you know what their deck's doing, you can counter it. And that, that's an essential part of the game. Coupled with that, so this is sorry where my, my head's going, it's a slight tangent, is that thing about open information. The other player I know that does that brilliantly is is Smee, who you know you and I have played against loads and loads. And I've had games against him where he's just picked up my discard pile and sat and gone through it and then worked out what objectives I've got left to score and you know moved his fighters out of range or just prevented me doing stuff. Um, I'm maybe not a confident enough human being to grab another player's deck of cards and look through it, but it's within the rules of the game, isn't it? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I always love grabbing someone's deck, especially oh. David Smee. He, he loves that. But it, you have to remember, it is open information. Like yeah. I, I like doing it in tournaments because I'm like... Um, Generally, I won't because I don't want to let my opponent know I've been looking through their deck. But if I go like, I'm trying to figure out what they do, I'll just look at their discard pile and I'll go, okay, he scored like these objectives. I know what he's got like three left, so I know what these are. Yeah. Because it's open information. So it's just I never be it afraid was to like last activation of a game or something like that when he did it to me in a tournament. And he just sat there and I think he was a point ahead. So, you know, obviously knew if he could prevent me scoring a certain amount of glory, he was going to win the game. Yes. So, uh, and I've had that backfire. Oh, he'll hate me for telling this, but uh, Salty Rob, who we both play against regularly as well. Oh, yes. We're in a ta- the tournament final at um, the Gaming Den in Basingstoke. Yeah. And I think I was one up, and we were really close going into the, th- the final end phase. And he sat there looking at me, and he went, oh, I wonder what three objectives you've got. And he looked at my deck, and then he reeled off. Well, you've scored this, you've scored that, you've scored the next thing. So I know you haven't scored da-da-da, da-da-da, or Alone in the Darkness. And I went, oh, right. And I'm looking at my hand, and Alone in the Darkness isn't the card in my hand. And I couldn't, for the life of me, remember what was the bottom card of my deck. So my last activation, I just drew Alone in the Darkness, and it won me the game. And wow. Ever since, he's been kicking himself for that, because <laughs> he told me what I had left when I'd blanked. So, yeah, uh, it's kind of like that's more you would learn not to tell your opponent what you've counted through their deck. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, it was a beautiful moment. I mean, he hates me reminding him. <laughs> but I think uh, I'll quickly cover. So, like, yeah, always asking your opponent questions is a great thing, and you should always do that because yeah. I even do that still. I'll cover the changes. So, I'm ass- let's say I'm assuming you've played Shadespire. So, the changes brought in with Diachasm. This is going to be a bit. Difficult, so because like if you're watching from any future seasons, if we get future seasons, but for example, um, as I said, after you've read the rule book, what changes, for example, could you have missed? So the biggest one I'd say is if you're on guard, you can't be driven back because that's a huge one, especially if you're playing doing Shadespire and Nightbolt. You would go, oh wow, that makes guard even better, and you're like, yes, because normally guard just allows you to succeed on both defense characteristics. Yeah. But now in, in Shadespire, guard was a thing you did to score changer tactics. Unless you were me. Whereas now but, guard's a good thing to do. Yes, because <laughs> not being able to be trapped is, is huge yeah. because you can be more daring with your fighters and even just leave them on objectives knowing your opponent can only get them off by killing them. Killing or having then, a, a card to manipulate the board state, yeah. Yes. Um, then you've also got as we've already covered, the surge changes. So you can only have six surges in your deck. But previously, that was only a competitive rule. Some may add they would like more surges, 
but it helps. Some would say you need less. I'm on the less side. But generally speaking, it's to help keep the game sane so there is an end phase instead of everyone just going, I scored all my surges. Then, as we already covered, tokens have changed. So if you're playing during Shadespire, tokens you placed after you did your activations to show that you've done them, whereas now tokens say you've done the action. But once you have no tokens, you're free to do whatever. For example, there are some cards that give fighters move all charge tokens or even remove them. So, for example, if you charge someone, if you charged with a friendly fighter, gave them a charge counter, token, whatever, then removed it with a card, they could charge again. It's just little interactions around that then you've got magic magic is its own thing i think the biggest thing with magic in general is people get confused with how magic attack works and gambits so for magical attacks they work like attack actions they just use magic dice whereas uh, gambit spells they work differently uh, the best way i can describe them is think of like 50 50 cards so like the dice cards before you had in shade spire mm-hmm. that triggered on like the role of specific symbols these you need to well obviously you need to roll as many symbols as the card asks, at least. I think and a, you... a common thing that comes up about magic is kind of charged fighter cast a gambit spell. Yes, the yes. Broken in Night Vault, but now they need some kind of help. But yeah, so and you have to remember with casting magic spells, like gambit spells, a crit card counts as both a focus and a channel. So you can cast it, like say a spell says it casts on a channel. If you roll a crit, it's still cast. And then obviously if you roll two crits, you do backlash. So you take one damage, and then if the fight survives, then you resolve the spell. So if your wizard only has one wound and is a level two wizard, so you roll magic dice equal to the level of the fighter, you would, if you roll two two or more crits, because some fighters can roll more than two magic dice, then you would take a damage, and if you did die, the spell would end and it would have cast. And I think, oh, then you've got rotation. So this is only for competitive play. That's, so the so way the there's a couple other things, isn't there? We now have lethal hex placement. Oh yes, lethal hex cool. placement. Yes, that's actually the biggest one of the biggest things. So each fighter, I mean each player, sorry, after you've set objectives, the person who set the three objectives gets to place a lethal hex first, and then your opponent can. Big thing is they can't be placed next to each other, and it's optional, so you don't have to. And then you've got feature tokens as well. So objectives are now feature tokens. One side is an objective token and the other side is a lethal hex. And those can be flipped and, well, some cards can remove them, but it's like, yeah, one side's lethal, one side's an objective hex. And a lethal hex, you take damage every time a fighter is placed, moved, or pushed into it. So, but you don't take damage if it's flipped. That's the biggest thing. Yeah, if you're already in the hex when it gets flipped, you're fine, aren't you? Yes. Oh, and there's also, oh no, this is a competitive rule only. Uh, so another competitive rule is for diagonal configuration when you're aligning boards, they can only be placed a minimum of four hexes instead of a minimum of three hexes. Mm-hmm. And then um, for rotation, so if you're playing competitively, basically the third season gets rotated out. So you've always got two seasons in rotation. The most recent one and the year before, yeah. and then when the when it when another season comes out, the last season rotates. Yeah, so if you want to play competitively, you have to keep in mind you're probably going to have to keep invested in the game, and your cards may be rotated out. But there are different ways to play, which we'll cover shortly. Yeah. So at the moment, you could play Dark Asm and Beastgrave in a six months, but probably won't even be six months. Whether there'll be a new, oh, probably will be a new box come out. At which point, Beastgrave is no longer valid 
other than the warbands and their so any card with their faction symbol on still is. Yeah, for with. example, like if you start playing Beast Grave, Shade Spire would have rotated out. Yeah. So, uh, like, let's say we get to season eight. Season eight and seven would be able to be played, but season six wouldn't be. So yeah. Just think about it like that. Oh, there's then... so many tokens in season eight. <laughs> 25 wood wandering around. Flip the board. Uh, and then the other rule is the restricted and forsaken list. So if you're playing competitively, some cards are banned and some cards you're only limited to taking three of. So that's just more competitive side, and you can just find that on the where like it's better to find it on the blogs because Games Workshop don't put it clearly. Yeah, so yeah, so, I never get the Games Workshop one come up when I Google for it. it never appears. Yeah, so the, this is a tangent, but basically, Games Workshop had to reword their articles because if they word them in a certain way, my articles come up first. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, they had to reword their getting started article to like how to get started with diachasm because if you put getting started my articles come up first yeah interesting it's funny um is there anything else i've missed for rules changes in terms of changes not that i can think of i mean keywords there we go so you got keywords so keywords are keyword bolded they're donated thing so the biggest criticism i have of gw is basically you've got hunter and quarry which are keywords you've got the leader symbol which is effectively a keyword you will not know what hunter and quarry does because you will read the rule book and you go hunter quarry primacy hunger those are in the cards but they're not covered in the core rules and that is correct for reasons not really allowed to explain but basically you would have to keywords interact with each other in certain ways so key keywords to note you've done something like dealt damage is dealt is bolded because you've dealt damage push is bolded because you've pushed and then if you've got Hunter and Quarry, which we'll get into later, they're basically just seasonal keyword mechanics. Yeah, I don't so think it's interesting. I don't mind that. I think Really? You don't mind that it's not explained in the core rules? The keywords have done a good job of tidying some stuff up. You know, we had knockback from and we had knockback and cleave in season one, didn't we? And then we've now got ensnare and things like that. And I think those things are really good at just tidying stuff up. I, I like the keywords, I just don't like that some aren't mentioned, like I, basically the Hunter Quarry I stuff. I don't mind that, because actually, in terms of the rules, it doesn't mean anything. That's true, So, that, but in that's ter- the problem. You know, I, that's the biggest questions I generally get from people is, what's Hunter Quarry? It's not in the core rules. What's Combo? It's not in the core rules. And it's basically going, it only matters with the cards. Yeah, Let so me explain rules it. Of, I mean, maybe they need a paragraph in there saying these are rules that are affected by other cards or whatever but that means when rotation happens and stuff like that we could they could completely reinvent what hunter and quarry means in a couple of seasons and it could completely change the way some of the warbands function i think that's a really interesting design space um or it could just mean they do nothing which i think is more likely and they sort of pitter out because power creep's a real thing and i'm sort of okay with that as well um i think it's been interesting with the Hunter and Quarry stuff in that there are ways to make Shadespire and Night Vault warbands have Hunters and Quarries within their warband, which there weren't when they brought out Wizards. So I think it's really good that the cards exist to then make stuff retrospectively possible if you really want to go and build a deck that way. It's not the most efficient use of cards, in, in my opinion. Um, 
But yeah, I quite like I quite like that. I don't hate it. You know, I think it it just means that as the game evolves, we get new stuff and new ways of playing. And I remember last season, like when poison cards came out, I'm going, oh, I think there's probably a poison deck, and that's going to be really exciting. And then it didn't happen, which I was a bit disappointed about. I really wanted witch elves with big poison daggers and stuff like that, and sort of slowly killing people off over the you know, over a game. Yes, yeah, combo. The idea but... of combo was exciting. But yeah, that's that's keywords. So just kind of be like most of them are useful, but then you've got seasonal keywords which kind of are confusing because they basically only interact with each other. But I think if you, um, if you accept that, if you're a new player or you're trying to get back into it having not played with keywords before, every now and then there's going to be a word that isn't in the rule book, and you go, right, fair enough, that probably means something on another card. And yes. that's, that's fine, because it may never affect your life in any way at all. Or you may be fascinated by poison and dig through your deck, finding all the other cards that you're put with poison written on, and go, are these four cards useful together in any way, shape, or form? And you'll come up with the answer, no, probably. But yeah. But uh, another way to return to the game is online resources. So this is the part of the episode where I shill myself even more than normal. <laughs> Obviously, you've got my getting started started article, so that's a good way to refresh. And then I've also got my how to collect article, which covers how to collect Warhammer Underworlds if you're a new player. Because especially, let's say you haven't played the game for years, now you've like it'll tell you about rotation and how to collect. Because generally, I'd recommend if you're in a new season, just focus on the cards in that season, like. The biggest problem I would have is as a returning player, you buy everything and then you get overwhelmed with all this new knowledge. And the problem is, especially now, we're not really playing physically. There's no need to buy everything. Just buy the current season because you want to get the most out of your purchases. So let's say there is a season five and it comes in September. All the Beastgrave stuff you buy, let's say, what is it? Uh, You've got like four months, five or six, well, six months left to use it. And if we're only going to be playing physically for like three of those months, is it really necessary if you're not going to go ham? Because there's going to be no major tournament, so there's no need. To. Yeah, It's so all uh, your choice. But it's I find if you make it easier for yourself to get into and just resist the urge to buy everything at once, you you, you basically are taking a good step to prevent burnout. Yeah, I, I agree with you with a, a couple of caveats. The first being, if you're really passionate, um, you know, if you play AOS or you know, Warhammer in some other shape or form, and you're really passionate about one of the warbands or factions or whatever, then, you know, it's probably worth trying to locate and buy that warband. But being aware if they're not the current season, they are going to feel slightly worse, you know. Um, But I think, you know, you get players that play for passion. You know, I ran those goblins forever because I just loved playing goblins. Um, and I think you invest in a slightly different way rather than just playing a competitive board game. It's maybe a little bit more narrative for you in that situation. Yeah. Um, and then the other caveat is the older stuff, a lot of it you just can't get anymore. That's true, yeah, because yeah. the big thing is once they rotate out of season, it's, got, it's gone. Like you, can't buy it. you can't buy it. Yeah. So like you're, you're stuck to the second-hand market, which can either go for really cheap or really expensively. I mean, the funny thing was with Diakazm, most people were getting, well, not most, a lot of people were getting rid of their collections. So if you're a new player, um, it's probably, if you wanted to buy older stuff, it's probably better waiting for a new edition to come because you'll get a lot of people just ditching their stuff yeah. uh, cheap. I think you can still buy the miniatures, can't you? 
Could buy the miniatures, but not the cards. Yes, yeah, which are also obviously the miniatures are then kind of useless. <laughs> yeah. I think they've even stopped with selling some of the warbands now, oh, like right. just as models. But um, another good resource is watching Barrel Reports, because obviously I have a YouTube channel, like Can You Roll a Crit, on YouTube. So mm-hmm. watching Barrel Reports is a good way to get familiar with the game. I would recommend, like, mine are more, like, they're partly relaxed but still competitive. So obviously I try to play competitively, but they're, I was trying to be accurate. There's a few errors now and again, which I always highlight and point out. But I would say, yeah, watching Battle Reports is a good way because then you can see someone actually physically playing the game. Uh, and I will also, because I know some people may feel I'm just shilling myself, but there are other people you can listen to. So I think like Aman from Path to Glory, he's really good to listen to. He's got a lot of resources. He's got his monthly pod, but well, it's like regular podcast and articles. Then you've also got uh, for Bat Reps. So if, you're not, if you don't want to watch mine or want to watch more, the two I would recommend uh, Tabletop Sydney is really cool. They're a bunch of Australians. They're fairly new, but they've been posting lots of battle reports, and they're great to watch if you want to see like varied players. Because obviously, my battle reports are generally me. But if you want to see different <laughs> players yeah. of like varying skill levels, you will be able to see that, and it's a good spread of warbands. Obviously, I try and play more, but I, I do more tournament coverage, so I'll show tournament games I've casted. But I'm, I'm more on the competitive side, while still being quite relaxed. And then another one is the Battlecast. He's more inactive, like compared to Warhammer Underworlds. But I think his those two channels do amazing content. I don't, content I don't think he's done anything in lockdown. Yeah, but his old his older battle reports, which are like a few months old now, are still really good. Yeah. So yeah, I would recommend the Battlecast and Tabletop Sydney because they have minimal errors. So like when you're watching a battle, I will always recommend people who have minimal errors because like there there were these things during Shades by when people were just not intentionally playing wrong, but because they were regularly viewed, people just started parroting that because they were like, oh yeah, and they didn't point out mistakes they made. So like a big one was people were like, when I'm trapped, I just take one damage instead of when you're trapped, you take the full attack because you're trapped. It's just yeah, little well, things. I don't know what that was. That was a because I remember seeing someone do that, and it was just when I'd started playing. And yeah, <laughs> and I, I, I still don't know where that came from. Like it, 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 it confused thing. me yeah. so much. I was like, it never says that in the rules. How did you get that? I was like, oh, I, but this I, person. I wouldn't be too harsh on people making mistakes and stuff online. Like, no, I know yeah, we, but I we've think we've made them in games, and I don't. Think yeah, it's but I think we recognise them. But I think if you want, like, I think if you those s- two spot a mistake that someone's made. And they haven't. And uh, I was watching. Um, I can't remember who it was. It who was it now? I, I, I may be misremembering this, so I hope people don't. You were watching it. someone. I think it was Agents of Sigma against Crit Death podcast. I think. Okay. And they kept rolling the one of them kept rolling the wrong number of defense dice for one of their fighters and every time they did it i sort of bristled a little bit and then i thought i suppose it means i've you know at least taken on board the rules for that fighter or whatever it didn't make any difference in the end of the game anything like that and you could tell in no way was it intentional and it might like i said it may not have been those two people because i watched a bunch of battle reports the other week um yeah but i i would still personally like if you're a new player because you like the problem is you won't be able to discern those differences, and I think generally those those other two people, including myself, yeah, do really clear battle reports, right. which are like good for you to follow. Like the cool thing is like 
with Tabletop Sydney, they're just pumping out a ton of battle reports with varied opponents, yeah. which is one of the best things. So they're like physical games. I mean, we've had games in the past, haven't we, where you've you've messaged me and gone, oh, I can't put that one up on YouTube because we made too many mistakes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I've like streamed games and gone like, pers- like, it would have been fine, but I'm like, if I, like, I'm just very critical of myself, I can't put up a game where I've made too many mistakes because yeah. it just, not that it looks bad on me, it's just I don't want to tell people so, incorrect information yeah. for playing the game. So aside from shilling yourself and um, the battle reports you watch, I was, you know, we sort of chatted a little bit before about, you know, resources and stuff. And, uh, you know, I'm sort of trying to think from my point of view as someone getting back into the game. Yes. And, you know, we're fortunate. We play, you know, I suppose a relatively small game system by GW standards, but there is a ton of resources. So as John said, you know, there's a bunch of uh, podcasts out there. and Oh, yes, there's tons of podcasts. Um, I like the the one where Max sings the funny song at the beginning. I can't remember the oh, name. Oh, Battle of Salvation? Yeah, that's that really good. That You've got um, <laughs> What the Hex? Well, uh, yeah. Is that, yeah, What the Hex? Um, you've occasionally got the Steel City podcast and their blog. The only issue is they're quite irregularly, they're quite inactive, shall we say? So it's I like think they're still good to check out. Very good quality, but less yes. frequent, aren't they? So I think there's a load of that stuff. Some of it, if you're just getting into the game for the first time, is probably a little impenetrable. You know, and that you probably want to have a bunch of games under your belt to understand what people are talking about and stuff. Um, but then you've also got my podcast, which is kind of geared towards that. So you may notice, like, it's more shilling again. Yeah. But the general podcast, they kind of do more reflections. Like, they're great for keeping up to date with the game because they cover lots of things that are now. Yeah. But if you're a new player, you may find that, as you've said, Rob, quite impenetrable. Yeah. Not like it's it diff- like impossible to watch. It's just difficult to understand. Exactly. Which yeah. is yeah. why... If, if you don't know the war bands and you're not yeah. completely down with your core mechanics, then actually discussing that stuff in depth I don't know how useful it is. Maybe it is. But in terms of... Well, that's of... why um, CritCast is a great way to listen because I've designed it. So it's it kind of semi keeps up to date with the game, but it's more designed to be... You can watch it any time from any aspect. You could. It's designed so you could watch it in a year's time and it'll still be... Do you think you need to plug this when people are listening to it? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I learned from Games Workshop. You can um, never, uh, never stop uh, shilling. Yeah, so I was saying in, in terms of being a returning player, the ones where people discuss the latest warbands are quite useful in that they will talk through the fighter cards and the sort of what they imagine the use and the mechanics of those warbands are going to be. That doesn't always reflect how it winds up being in competitive play. So if I cast my mind back to Blade Coven and Morgox Crushes release, everyone was like, oh, Morgox Crushes are so strong. They've got all this passive glory. They've got these amazing fighters, da 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 da. And it was all like a, a little bit of doom and gloom if you wanted to run any other warband. And then actually in practice and the way they played, they were doing all right in tournaments and stuff, but they weren't this amazing warband. So that stuff's quite useful. But do, you know, remember a lot of these guys are reviewing stuff, I suppose. This, this in a vacuum. imagine it yeah it's you know on, on day of release or whatever because you know people want to get content out there it'd almost be useful to review it three months after it came out and then but then it's also so outdated that no one will want to listen right 
Well, like, I know there's a little tangent. That's funny now because now Morgoth's crushes are basically the only reason they're not, what do you call it, dominating the game is because of Morgoth. If Morgoth goes away, they are going to be like the threat, which is just funny. But it, like, it's a good point. Like, you have to remember these. A lot of these are personal takes, and the a difficult thing is all of these are done on review day. Yeah. Well, very close, so they haven't had many games. Not not to knock what they're doing. It's just a fair thing to point because yeah, that's not the thing with reviews. Not in the slightest way means to be shady. It is literally like I don't know that I could give those impressions of a new warband when I read the cards. I sort of read the cards and go, oh, I look pretty. <laughs> well, yeah, that's why I'm more confident with mine because I've basically tested them. All. Yeah. So, but. It's like it, it. We're not trying to knock people. It's just you have to remember the different factors. So, like the biggest thing I always try to say with like my stuff is and my reviews is it's not stone. Like I give like deck guides. I'm not saying this is the best. This is just my personal take. Mm. So you kind of have to do a bit of like give and take because especially where you play with your local meta may be very different. Yeah. But yeah, we've you've got podcasts, articles, YouTube videos. What else? I think that's it. The only thing we're missing is like Underworld's branded music, which I, I, I am working on a band. Don't worry, I've got I've got to cover everything related for Warhammer Underworld's related content. Uh, um, get my own band. But yeah, so, so yeah, on resources, I think there's the the deck builders. Oh, deck builders! Deck oh, builders are the biggest. Oh, brilliant, and it's sort of you know I suppose I wanted to talk a little bit about deck building. Um, but, you know, all the online deck builders, all the stuff you've sort of talked about, card restrictions, da-da-da-da-da, it just tells you automatically whether you're doing that. Um, I know Underworld's DB's got a function, and it's how I sort of started my deck the other week, was you can go on there and press a button, and it just gives you And it'll just randomly of, make a deck. Well, yeah. it's not random. I think it's the most popular cards for that warband. Yeah, it'll try and make you like an AI meta net deck. And, you know, you're, what I really like so i use that quite a well i've used that quite a lot and that was my starting point i do that and then you can do the random card draw generator thing so you then draw your cards and you sit and go right they're my three objectives they're my five power cards do those things synergize actually that card there that's a brilliant card is useless because it doesn't help me score any of my objectives so i ditch that one rebuild the deck and i sat and do, i sit and do that and rebuild and you know, sort of flip between the two. And, you know, it's not making up for actual games and seeing how the war... Yeah, I think a, a big disclaimer to add now is, like, that that virtual deck draw is a great tool, yeah. but it does not replace physical cards. That's an important thing. Not at all. But in terms of working out card synergies, yes, I think it's a really good. useful thing. Because, you know, I was... So we, we played a game last week, and you'd said, oh, can you run Dread Pageant? And I really wanted to run Wild Hunt because I think that's a bit of no-brainer deck building. Um, so I had to sit and read through all the Dread Pageant cards and actually sit and physically reading them. I really like doing that. You know, the way my mind works, it helps me ingrain it a little bit more. But then I, I built the deck online and I sort of, there was cards in there and I'm like, I think that's a really good card, but it feels too situational or it doesn't help me score my objectives or whatever. So they just get binned. And then equally, there was cards I put in there that um you know after the after the game we had i was sort of talking to some friends and i realized it was they were useless so i think that's my other resources if you're returning you've probably got some friends that play or some kind of meta or know some people and hit them up for advice you know i'm lucky i can talk to you i can talk to me we got a dozen good players in reading and I'm able to just ask them questions. And so I was sharing with Paul, who's won a bunch of those online tournaments. 
And he just took one look at my deck and went, why have you got snare in there? And I'm like, oh, that's really useful with the archer. He said, your archer can't use snare. And I was like, oh, yeah, there's a little card interaction I've completely missed. <laughs> I just completely missed it. And that's Yeah, I think, well, I think friends are like a huge, huge aspect because like, as you said, generally you'll be joining a game and returning to it, especially with friends. So they're the best ones to bounce ideas off of and just confirm things, especially if you've got veteran friends, because generally, as we said, no one will be annoyed that you're asking questions. They'll be happy to help. Yeah, we, you know, we're all nerdy board gamers, right? We all know each other because of, well, we don't necessarily know each other because of this game, but it's one of the things we share in common. And yes. I like talking about it. My mates like talking about it. So do that thing, <laughs> you know, don't be afraid. And it's not like you're going to be at a grand clash tomorrow. And if someone's seen your deck list, you're not taking them a massive piece of glass. Oh yeah. 100%. You know, that, that ain't happening. But you, could, you may be, you may even be able to steal and improve upon their idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but outside of that, another good resource is how to actually play at the moment, because yeah. obviously people are locked down and stuff, which can't go out. So there are like, three ways to play i'd say well you can still play physically if you live in a house with someone who can play basically or you're in a bubble somehow or whatever but you've got webcam gaming which i'm a big proponent of because it's more work like 100 percent more work and effort by lets me use my cards physically yeah. and i get to roll dice yeah. so that's uh, the only thing you have to keep in mind of webcamming is it's an intensive setup because you the good thing is you can use your phone to Yes. Like video cap because our phone, we everyone has a phone. So even if it's rubbish quality, you can use that. You can use like Facebook Messenger, any online messaging service, and just video call someone and have a game over that. Yeah, so, but then you um, need space and setup. So Salty Rob, I'm doing a credit here. If I'm taking the mic a bit earlier, one of the things he does is he's got his. I think he elastic bands his phone to his painting lamp, and then he's able to Chromecast from his phone to his telly. So you can see, see really clearly. The Warhammer Underworld players are ingenious, you know? But, you know like, look at the stuff. I imagine most people, you know, have a painting lamp if they're into this hobby. You know, most people can find an elastic band and have a telephone. <laughs> you know? I paint in the dark. Yeah, well, well I'm, I'm good for elastic bands. It's just the, it's the darkness thing that's the trouble. <laughs> playing Underworlds in widescreen in, on his living room telly, you know, and it's... It does involve more setup, but like you, I think there's a joy to rolling dice. I like seeing the miniatures. I've put time and effort into building and painting on the table. It helps motivate me to paint. It's also really nice when it's two warbands you've painted, because that doesn't really happen before. And I go, yeah. oh, look how pretty my dudes look. Oh, I who, look at these amazingly painted warbands, everybody. One's painted by me and the other one's painted by me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a lovely little ego trip. And then you look at your opponent's screen and go, ah, John's look rubbish. <laughs> uh, but the good thing is you've got webcam tournaments as well. You've got the monthly straight out Shade Spire tournaments, which are best of one. Yeah. So there's a very well, like even did a, I did a best of free tournament, the Underworlds UK Masters, which I will one day post the games of on YouTube. But it's like you can do various things. You just have to, the drawback is set up and actually proxy and stuff because you have to proxy what your opponent does. And it's just a bit time consuming, but it's a good way to play. Uh, then you've also got yeah. Vassal. Yeah. Vassal is a good way, it's free. It, it can be, pretty much work on a potato. You kind of need a decently sized screen, but you know, and it, like as long as you haven't got something like a fourteen-inch monitor, you will be fine. Oh. Um, the, the, my only criticism of Asl is it just well, obviously it's not technically Games Workshop approved, 
but it's a good supplement to play in the game because, well, and the other thing is all 2D images, so it's all flat. You've got like icons instead of your fighters, but it's a really good simulation for just getting games in. And there's lots of tournaments. It's got a huge community. So if you check out the Vassal Discord, I think that's probably Wars. the biggest community, isn't it, of people playing? Um, Currently, yeah, yeah. For so me, it's quite it's, active. I mean, yeah, in, in terms of you know the world we live in at the moment. Um, and I think there was a relatively active community of people being able to, you know, get in games with internationally sort of pre-COVID. Um, it doesn't do it for me, Vessel. But as we've, I suppose, you know, we spent 10 minutes at the start of the episode talking about hobby and painting and stuff. And yeah. that side of it's really important to me. So, that, But I think if you just want why. pure games in, yeah, Vassal is a great tool. If you want reps, that's the quickest way to get them in, I think. Yes, because you can quickly just reset the board status and like quickly go through games. Uh, as I'll keep repeating, it's just a supplement, and most Vassal players will agree. It's Technically, you don't have to buy anything. You could just play Vassal, but that's not the majority of players, so everyone's usually bought in. So it's just think of it as a nice supplement. It's all run by free, thanks to Shuby. And like, like, they have regular tournaments. They have even like weekly tournaments for like hobby nights. So it's a great way to keep engaged and play. Then... If you're really desperate, you've also got Tabletop Simulator. Just, just is fine. The only issue with Tabletop Simulator is you have to pay, so it's not free, and it's actually oddly quite computer-intensive, so you do need a decent computer to run it. I think you now have a Mac support, right? Yeah, I run it on a Mac, and it's, it, you know, your fan goes noisy, but that's the same for any 3D thing on a Mac. Your fan gets noisy. The uh, only problem with TTS is it's much harder to find games for because uh, you to set it up anyway, you have to follow the Warhammer Underworlds Discord, not the Warhammer Underworlds Vassal Discord because they're two separate things. Cool. And it's it's not as populated because they're, like, this is history, but there was this a long time ago, there was a great divide between the TTS people for Tabletop Simulator and the Vassal people. Mm-hmm. And the Vassal, everyone just went to Vassal because it was easier to run and play on. Yeah. So if you're like, TTS is good if you've got a friend who wants to, you know, you can regularly hit up or you know people you can regularly hit up. But if you're looking for pickup games, I'd recommend Vassal because so you can, can just I, post in the Vassal Discord. Does I anyone want a game like with TTS? But it's decent. Since yeah. Lockdown, you know, my, my gaming group and I have rinsed it for multiple game systems, you know. Um, yeah, I think if you use TTS for multiple um, different things, I think it's a worthy investment. So, like, I use TTS for, like, Digimon. I'm probably going to play some Warhammer 40,000 on it because I can't play physically at the moment. So, like, I, I as, like, Rob, I can use it for different things. But if you're just going to buy it for Underworlds, you're going to have to weigh up if it's worth yeah. it over because like if you're just going to play it for one game it may be worth it you may like it more it's just down to personal choice they really. did deals on it every now and then right i think i paid yeah, eight quid cheap. for it so and then if you're really desperate you've you've gone like you're like you're in the desert you'll take anything there's warhammer underworlds online i like underworlds online so, like, <laughs> i think you're so nasty about it <laughs> The, the the problem you're going to have to remember with Warhammer Underworlds Online is it's now it went from being a seasonal game into kind of this old weird it's like its own fusion game as in it's got parts of every game system currently in it so it can kind of it's, it's, technically it's its own meta yeah it's its own game if, actually if now, you're looking to get back into Underworlds from the point of view of post lockdown going to some tournaments and snagging yourself a small piece of glass or a card with a golden demon on it or whatever 
it's not the way to go because it's a bunch yes. of cards you can't use anymore. It's a, a warped It doesn't meta. use the full Beast Grave mechanics. I mean, Diakazu yeah. uses some of them, but not all of them. You've got, like, the other problem is bugs. So cards won't, like, not all of them, but there are occasional bugs and interactions See, which uh, don't follow I don't correctly. Know what it is. I've maybe hit bugs once or twice with that game. You seem to have to You are the blessed then, because I am routinely hit with bugs. Because I only play for an hour at a time. I have to limit myself. Um, <laughs> uh, and the other thing is that the community is very small. Mm. Like, uh, the week, the monthly average went from 40 to like, now it's just 13. It's gone up to 16. So, you know, right. technically, big numbers got double digits. But it's something to keep in mind. Like, it will technically show you the fundamentals of the game. The problem is, it's not accurate. So what may you, what you may learn on Underworlds Online won't really translate into like if you're playing diecast. Yeah, I think um, if you approach it with that angle and aware that it's its own thing, I think it's yes, fine. it'll be fine. If you're thinking this is going to help me get back into Warhammer Underworlds and I can translate everything into the tabletop, then you are you're in the wrong place. You have gone to the wrong. Yes. <laughs> wrong yeah, place. That's true. You know, I think probably the designers would admit that, right? Because I don't know because of their license, no, it's, but it's it's like not a bad game, but it's not a great game either. You just gotta. It, it's a decent way. I used it at the start of lockdown just to get games in. Mm-hmm. Also because I like playing Shadespire, but now it's no longer Shadespire. It's whatever it is. So it's a weird. It's difficult. You have to keep in mind. Yeah, as I said, so we'll show you some of the fundamentals. I'm not going off a tangent here, but is is some of this about you managing your expectations? In that yeah. you want it to be shade or you want it to be a meta you're used to, and it's neither of those things. I think as a returning player, it's just going to be very difficult because, like, another thing I get people go, "I've played Warhammer Underworlds Online. Yeah, does this work in the tabletop?" Or I want to get back into the game. Is Warhammer Underworlds Online a useful tool? And I would say depends. You have to be really aware of what you want from it and what. You need to know the limitations of the game. It's useful in terms of what turn sequence, remembering timing of playing upgrades, and you know stuff like that. Yes. Beyond that, I'm not sure there's any use. Well, I think the biggest thinking. criticism is there's no takebacks because when you're playing someone casually, if, like if you're playing someone who's new, they would. If you're new and you're playing someone casually, they'd have to go like, oh, "I've made an error." Like, yeah, you can take that back. It's fine. In Underworld, you could argue it's better because it makes you know you can't make mistakes, but yeah. it's just not very forgiving to play. Yeah. Can you then, take back on Vassal? Uh, generally, people will. Yeah, there's no fixed turn sequence. So right. people will just... Right. Yeah. Uh, so we've covered... Uh, and like, yeah, there's no real... I mean, I guess there's some games for Underworlds Online, but like, if you wanted a good way to get games regularly, I'd recommend Path to Glory. They do a really good TTS, and I think even Vassal Leagues. Mm-hmm. I mean, Vassal TTS and Warhammer Underworlds Online. Right. Uh, Vassal itself does a regular league, so... Those are all great resources to play. And I, you know, in terms of, again, in terms of that stuff, the, the Saturday tournaments that Val runs, the straight out of Shade Spy ones, they're really good. He's done the last couple as, what do they call it? Thailander. Everyone has to take a different warband, Highland. Yes. Highland. And actually, it felt like the players approached it with a very a lighter attitude. You know, it didn't feel like everyone was. Oh, super competitive. It was quite fun and seeing who's going to be the most competitive warband and what people are doing. And, you know, that I think that was really interesting. So, and there was, what, was it 28 players in the end? There was a lot of people. Yeah. And then, I think the webcam meta is better if you want to play casually and get back into the game. But even then, Vassal's really friendly as well. You just have to know what you look like. Yeah. And, I mean, Val's invited us all over to uh, to Holland for when um, 
when lockdown's lifted and we're finally allowed to have an in-person tournament again. So I'm looking forward to that. I wasn't invited. No, well, you know, it was about a year ago he invited me as well when we thought it was going to end in three months' time. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but I'm holding you to it, Val, if you're listening to this. <laughs> um, Maybe. But I think that's good. I know there's another, I don't know what Maliki calls it, but when he runs the Friday Oh, yeah, he does his Friday night gaming. And like that, Friday. Yeah. That's sort of beer and pretzels gaming, from what I understand. It's very casual. But again, good way to get back into it. Um, yeah, so they're sort of the resources I've got scribbled down, which is basically watch a bunch of stuff, listen to a bunch of stuff. Um, can I talk about the biggest thing that sort of catches me out? Yes. And this, this catches me out. Every it's caught me up whenever there's a rotation. Is there stuff I just get reliant on running and doing? So that dread pageant deck I played you against was the first deck I've run without supremacy in probably two years. Oh wow! You know, um, and so there are certain cards and things that have rotated out. Not that supremacy is one of them but there's a whole bunch of pushes that made it a much more viable card to run. Um, and I suppose I'd got very set in how I played. And, you know, you had me on your whole objective episode. And I think when people think of me, they probably sit down and go, Rob's probably going to sit, try and sit on a bunch of objectives here or do some shenanigans to get on them or whatever. And I found myself having a, a really, actually the break to be really, really useful for me. In the previously, when I was deck building, you know, every deck had distraction, sidestep, great strength. Um, you know, there's a whole pool of cards that I just sit down and automatically start chucking them in. Uh, objectives, you know, uh, gathered momentum. Ever since that's come out, it's been in every deck. Supremacy, you know, all the, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff that you get reliant on depending on your play style. You know, I know, like, John, you used to always play really fast aggro and it feels like you've sort of moved away from that a little bit recently and the what the break did was it allowed me to sit there and go right i've got diacast in front of me i'm just going to sit and read all the cards and then i'm going to go and look at some of the top decks and read all those cards and then i'm going to sit and do some deck building and try and figure out a way that i want to play and i'm not saying i cracked it i think you know i've got big holes and flaws in my deck and things that probably shouldn't be in there. Um, but, it, you know, if I'm trying to take a positive from having a break, it's allowed me to just do a little soft reset and a reframing of how I think about the game and how I approach it and how I want to play. That's been quite helpful for me. So I guess in the same way that I was saying to you about managing your expectations about the meta of Underworlds Online, I think if you're returning to uh, Diachasm or Underworlds or whatever we call it, then you probably need to manage your expectations around that as well. And, you know, probably half the cards you used to run have been cycled out. And probably some of the cards you used to run just aren't as good or aren't as viable anymore. Yes. You know, Supremacy feels really hard to score now. Yeah, partly due to like mischievous spirits. Like, if that didn't exist, yeah, and like the general speed of the game, yeah, like fighters are also, yeah, exactly. Fighters have more range, so it's easier for them to get to you. There are less pushes to get you back onto objectives now, yes, you know. And I remember people saying that to me sort of halfway through 
beast grave and i was like nah it's viable and i was still running it every game and scoring it most and now i sort of look at it and go if someone's scoring supremacy i think they're doing really well but then it is a three glory card and i'm just using that as an example i think there's loads more of those those sorts of cards but um yeah. i think it is that thing about you know trying to approach it fresh and you know not being too stuck in your ways and i, I feel very the GW very consciously gone like beast grave. We went more towards an objective meta. Now it's more sort of aggro meta and, you know, the cards that come out each season or at least the order they're released in dictate what styles of player may be more viable for you. And I think it's worth trying to hold all that in mind before you just go, I'm this person. This is how I play. Because that may not. Yeah, you've got to learn to be a bit more flexible and adjust with the changes. Yeah, and um, and and then on that, I guess a a similar tip, and this is one I was sort of trying to talk to my gaming group about the other night, is managing your own expectations. And you know, I I used to go to tournaments and expect to if it was four rounds, I'd I'd expect to win three of them and hopefully win all four. And now I think I have to be aware that I'm not as good a player as I was. I was. I'm really rusty. I don't know what the cards do. I don't necessarily know what my opponent's trying to score to try and prevent them doing stuff. So I have to accept I'm probably going to lose a lot more games. And to not try and get too salty at dice or cards or my opponent when that stuff happens and take it as a learning curve. I remember when I first went to tournaments, in fact, I remember the first time I met you, and the guy sort of went, oh, I hope everyone's only got five restricted cards. And I sat there going, oh, I only own the Night Vault box set, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and losing every game that day and coming away going, oh, I had a really good day. Like I lost every game, but one of them, you know, one of them I got into double figures when I scored. And that one game I only lost by two points. And I think if I do this, that, and the next thing next time, it won't happen. And trying to have that more positive sort of learning mentality to it. Whereas I know there's a bit of me that just wants to turn up and win every single game, I have to be realistic and go, probably not going to happen. <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's it's like you just have to be realistic. You're not like, uh, for example, if you were dominating before, you're not all of a sudden just going to start dominating again. There's only so far your natural talent will go and skills. Yeah. I'm, you not, have to... I'm not saying I was dominating before. But... <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, but it's just you just, for example, yeah. like, you just can't go, oh, I was winning back in Chase, but it would be really easy to win now in Diacasm. It's yeah. just games change very quickly. And it's it's really interesting how quickly... You know, Diacasm has felt fun to me. I've enjoyed, you know, you asked me to play that game, so like I, said, I watched a bunch of battle reports. I enjoyed watching them. I enjoyed seeing new cards, doing new things. And then when we played, I really enjoyed playing as well and it seems like quite a fun season to play in from what i can tell um doesn't feel like there are loads of broken mechanics that are being abused i'm sure there are some there always are you know we've, we've talked a bit about monologue and stuff um i guess people are always going to run that but actually i think if you're just playing for fun and approaching it with that learning mentality it's a it's a good time to get back into it i reckon yeah, like there's also like as we've said, different formats. So you've got Vanguard format. So before you just had everything's in use. Championship format has rotation. Vanguard format only lets you use the current war bands and current cards from the most recent. Well, a season, which is generally Diachasm. So at the moment, you've got four war bands in use with like a pool of two hundred cards, something a hundred or whatever, and it's 
so I'm very mixed on Vanguard. I know people have been very positive about it. Mm-hmm. I am like it's been something I've been doing in my articles for reviews for a while. I've always done like a deck with that season's yeah. only cards. But the main problem I have is you will only get the maximum use out of Vanguard as a new player if you are because at the moment it's very limiting because of the card pool yeah. and warband choice. So you only get the most use out of it at the end of a season, which means you have like four months to play at its best, but it's much better for players who are returning to the game in terms of, you could go to your friends, um, let's have a Night Vault game, as in we only use a Vanguard Night Vault game, like a card in that. So I think that's the real strength of Vanguard. I wouldn't be drawn into the hype of, oh yeah, only playing Dying Chasm cards are great. You you have to take the drawbacks of, you're now going to be playing out-of-date rules. But I think Vanguard is at its best when you're playing with older seasons. Well, complete seasons, shall I say. Um, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't played it. I've seen people doing... Is it how... It might be how Maliki ran his tournament, is modified Vanguard, but I might be wrong. Yeah, so you've got modified you, Vanguard um, where people... You're allowed old the war bands. Bands. Yeah, you're allowed old warbands and their cards. But, then but that generally breaks, breaks Vanguard, unfortunately. Well, does it? Or does it not just make it a little bit more interesting yeah. in that you can... So it's like... More, uh, more this is just a tangent. But the people who do like modified Vanguard have basically told me there's like the main offenders are like Molog, the Grimwatch, and Crushers. They just dominate everything because their faction cards are so good, yeah. which are all like <laughs> Beast Grave War Bands and Night Vault. So it's like, yeah, if you're returning, like, Van- like say you, you and your friends want to get it back in, but you haven't bought anything. And you go like, well, we stopped playing at Night Vault. Why don't we just try playing like a Night Vault Vanguard tournament? So we... We know what cards are banned. We'll just play everything we have in Night Vault. It's, mm-hmm. it's an interesting way to play. I think like Vanguard is good, but only if you can play that season completely. Do not think... Sorry. I think I disagree. Um, that actually play... Even if there's only four Warbands released this season, it's actually a real... If you're just trying to... You know, if you've played a bunch in the past and you've taken a year off or whatever, or Beastgrave didn't appeal to you, you got annoyed in Night Vault because of magic, whatever it was, but then you've got all oh, these new models that dope, I want to get back into the game. That that playing with just those four warbands is kind of like a fast forward to learning what what's doable this season. Because I reckon if you did two or three club nights of that. By the end of those, you're going to have played through most of the available cards this season and know roughly what people are doing, at which point you can all start then building competitive decks using previous season if if, if that's the route you want to go. I think that's quite a good thing, isn't it? Kind of, yeah. It's like I don't think Vanguard is terrible. I think it has massive flaws, which a lot of people are overlooking. But I think it's like, yeah, it, it's decent for like getting back into the game in a way mm. but you have to re- recognize it's it can be very limiting because of the currently poor, small card pool if it's just for diachasm yeah but I, I think if you wanted to play vanguard and you haven't bought anything i think it's a great shout to go especially if you're playing with your friends uh we want to get back into it i've i've like learned how to use the beast grave i mean the diachasm rules like the current season rules yeah. shall we play like let's say uh, vanguard beast grave or vanguard like even shadespire shall we just play some of that first before we like jump back into it just so we familiarize ourselves yeah like that's a great way to learn i think yeah i I don't i mean i'm thinking of it more as a learning process rather than i wouldn't i don't think i'd want to go to a tournament doing that i think i want oh no i'm not saying like like i don't think i would go to a vanguard tournament say like do you want to play vanguard nightfall be like you know what okay (laughs) 
Thanks, Dave. Yeah, I think I agree. Um, but I, th- I think we've covered pretty much. Is there anything else we need? Oh, this is a good thing. So this is like the reflective part. So we played a game, which you can watch on YouTube soon, where uh, I use my Starblood Stalkers, brand new, against Rob Stred Pageant. So I made a lot of mistakes that day, partly like I hadn't played in a while, but more so I just finished three night shifts and I had like three hours sleep. So I'd made mistakes. Like the biggest ones, which I think people relate with the most is, uh, so there's Huachi. So he's a skink alpha with a a javelin that's range one and range three. I was playing as range two because I was just stupid. The biggest, that's why I would always recommend always constantly checking your cards and not like blindly glancing over them. Then another thing was primacy. Because another thing we didn't touch upon is like reaction windows. Because reaction windows are just complex. I mean... There's articles out there. You just have to keep reading them until like the best way to learn reactions and windows is just playing and getting reps in. Because like one thing is, so primacy you score after an activation if you kill an enemy leader. So this is an interesting thing because it covers two windows. You don't score do you? You get the token. You get the token. So you've got Clactrock who inspires after successful attack action, not after an activation. So, uh, because the core rules change, so you inspire, then end of activation, then reactions. So Clactrock wounded Kagra. Then I reacted and killed her with the jaws and got primacy. So there were two wrong things. Firstly, Clactrock should have inspired after his first at- after its first attack because the first attack succeeded. The second attack went through anyway, but it's just so if the first attack inspires, the second attack will go to two fury. So that's, that's the big thing because all of a sudden you can go, wow, that's a really good, nice combo. And then the other thing is you can only gain primacy if you take someone out, if you meet the requirements during an activation. So outside, unless you've got cards. So I made two errors there. So it's just like now I've made them, like I'm a very reflective player. So once I've made a mistake, I will learn from it and not do it again. So because I was actually aware of both of those, it's just never actually happened to me uh, while I was playing at least Diacasm. So now I've made those mistakes. I was able to identify them and now going forward, I won't make those mistakes. Do, do and ever, it's fine to make mistakes. Do you ever find you sometimes look at those reaction windows and just go, ah, that'll never happen. <laughs> and then it happens. Uh, I wish. Unfortunately, I am too in-depth into this game, so I, yeah. I know pretty much every reaction window. <laughs> it's ingrained into my brain. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I'm sure I made loads of mistakes that game. Um, well, I think it's like... Some of them just the like good timing of when I played upgrades and stuff. Yeah, like another thing is when we played... Uh, so that was actually Kagra's Ravages against um, the Starblood Stalkers. So yeah, that was me against Jack. Jack yeah. Against you, I made one mistake where basically, normally, I will charge a fighter before they die. And for some reason, I don't even know why. I just hesitated and it basically lost me the game eventually. Mm-hmm. And it was just... I learned from that. I was like, I should have just charged. It's just simple mistakes. Like The good thing is going over your game and discussing with your opponent... At picking up what you did wrong and not beating yourself up over it, just going, I made a mistake. Next time, I'll just yeah. remember not to do it. Because yeah. I think you're going to make a lot of mistakes. And this is just for Warhammer Underworlds in general. You have to be able to accept your mistakes. Yeah. Play goblins. That's the way I got used to making mistakes. Don't don't play gits if you're a new player, please. You will every time you will never finish. You'll be so confused, and you'll never finish. Every your time game. you finish a game, you go, "I could have been more optimal in the way I did things." There, 
I could have played a, a smaller warband and been more optimal. Yeah. Well, did you make are there any specific mistakes that you re- realized as a returning player? So there was one, well, there's like I say, there's timing of when I put down upgrades. There was a, a misreading of cards. So there's the one where you spend a glory to remove a charge token. Yeah. And I played it after my activation, and I should have played it after your activation. But actually, I then realized it didn't make a difference because I did it on the the five-wind fighter. And if you were worried he was going to charge you again, it was baiting you out to charge him, and I don't think you could have killed him. Although I don't think that was the right time to play it. I I can't remember. I have to watch the footage back. I think I might have made a mistake with one of the push cards, which is they have an infaction push, where it's push a fighter one hex, or push them the number of hexes equal to the number of fighters, fighters which have wounds. Wounded friendly fighters. And I think I had one fighter with two wounds and pushed you two hexes. But I'm, oh, okay, I'm not sure. I'll take the high ground as Jack did and you completely cheered. And I still won that game. I'm not sure. We'd, we'd have to watch it back. That's fine. But, it's like, because the thing is just... And I think the cards... Again, it's that thing where I suppose I'm so used to certain cards, I assume the way some of them are going to read, and that actually it doesn't necessarily quite read the way I assumed it did, if that makes sense. Like your first glance, it seems similar, so you just kind of like, not muscle memory, just like, oh, it works like this, and then you read it back and you're like, oh. So I've got Hadzu here, this is the other one, just a mistake in deck building. So I've got Snare in my deck, which can be used by two fighters in my warband, which is the Slack Slash and Hadzu, and had but it can't be used by Hadzu because it says in the drive back step of this attack action, instead of driving the target back, push the target up to one hex. So at no point can he trigger snare. I thought that was optional. It's, it's, it's not a, re- it's a reaction, no, right? It just says arrows of desire in the drive back step, and just what I just read. So it's not. Oh, never mind. Yeah. So and it was it's not optional. Yeah, Paul pointed that out to me, and I went. Actually, I've then got Snare, that only one fighter in my warband can use. Kind of seems useless. on the Because I'm trying to find a way that a ranged fighter can do an extra damage, and I, I don't think it exists. Um, so it is little things like that, like being clear on the wording. But in, you know, it was a casual game. I think it's fine. In a tournament, now I know that, if someone tried to do that to me, I would pick them up on it. <laughs> I'm not... Yeah, you know, well, it's like learning, so you yeah. can catch it out. And I think... One thing we didn't cover properly is like deck building in terms of resources. So obviously the deck builders themselves are great, but also I've got like uh, my deck building article with David. Oh, so I've got like tons of, so I've got my deck building article, my deck building ratios and my deck building episode with David Smee. And I'd recommend you read all of them. They're really in depth, not so much my deck building article. That's just how to build decks, but the deck building ratio and stuff we go over, like basically if you're running a, f- a card for one fighter, unless that card is amazing, you probably don't, because for like redundancy sakes, if that fighter dies, you've got a useless card. Like, a, what objectives to run? And just like, yeah. Such, such a tough choice, though, isn't it? Because they're all the best cards, the ones that restrict. Yeah, like I, in my Seraphon for the Starblood Stalkers, for example, there's like cards tied to only Kizitaka. So Kizitaka needs to stay alive. But it's interesting because. When he dies, like those cards are useless, but it makes him more attractive to the opponent to kill instead of Clactrock because they go, I'll oh, just wipe up Clactrock and then like Kizitaka can buff the rest of the skinks to become a really good utility it's piece. The, what's so. the one I loved? The Archer in 
Wild Hunt. Elfeyan, is it? Yes. And her card, when she makes an attack action, make another attack action. That's, that's too good to resist that for me. I can't. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. But some people it. just won't. Especially in an objective heavy meta. That was amazing because you could just be pinging people off objectives. Choop, Yeah, so there are some cards and I, oh, it's pretty tempting in it. Pretty tempting. But, yeah, but these cards just come down to personal choice and you just need lots of games to find what works right for you. I guess basically. also the timing of when you activate that fight as well. Yeah, how, like how much use you're going to get out of it and stuff. Is, is there anything else? I think we've covered we've pretty much everything. Much and we've waffled off topic loads. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. I, I've done my uh, GW in train shilling, so it's fine. Like generally, it's, can I do my shilling a, and ask people? Oh yeah, yeah. Shilling. No, where can people? I was going to ask you, but you, you wanted to be rude and well, not let me give you. But yeah, if people are interested, Rob, where can people find you if they want to see how your painting is? Uh, so yeah, Rob Hobbies on Instagram, and um, I've got all my setup to start Twitch streaming some of my painting, and then keep bottling out of doing it, but. Um, yeah, if you want to see me swearing over uh, badly painted Underworlds minis, do have a look. Yeah, I mean, uh, the good thing you might have, if, if you want to watch some tournament action, me and Rob regularly stream. Well, I I stream the Straight Out Shades by webcam tournaments and Rob co-commentates with me. Rob has been co-commentating me with a, all of my tournaments pretty much that I've been casting. Yeah. So it's oh, like, yeah, yeah, I think we do some decent coverage. I'd like to say the best because uh, I'm modest. No, it's like generally we try to be fun, informative, and accurate. So I think uh, John, like, you know, yeah. John does some decent coverage, and I get the giggles at Dark Hazen. Yeah. <laughs> such a bad name. Such a bad name. <laughs> so bad, like just so many things I can't say on this stream about. Like you've seen the Dark memes I've made, which I can't share. <laughs> but um yeah like those are i think it's really good interesting to watch like casted tournament games just in general there's not much like really good resources i think they're still free on the gw twitch stream at warhammer tv you can watch their grand clash coverage for if you wanted to see like high level competitive action because i've i covered their october 2019 one and then j claire the j claire and uh nick baton covered the january 2020 mm -hmm. grand clash those should be up for free to watch, and they're really good because you know they're grand clashes. So, and as I said, I I will be posting my um, Underworlds UK Masters tournaments because that was grand clash winners only, basically. Why haven't you posted them yet? And we're not allowed. To I I am behind on so much. Like the problem is the reviews. If I didn't have to write write damn warband reviews every month, I would have more free time to make more content. Yeah, fair. it takes me like several days to write up. Yeah, it's been a busy year for you, I suppose. I'll let you uh, yes, uh, for everyone. But is there anything else? I think we've covered. No, done. Literally covered. Done. Everything. We've cool. shielded ourselves senseless. Now, now you will be fully return, like fully engaged with Warhammer Underworlds. You are now the pro. I I hand the crown of crits to myself. You have done really well. You will now be able to beat anyone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but you should should have a good basis of where to go. And obviously, if you want more guidance, just hit me up or any of the content creators, because generally we'd be, we'd be happy to. But as always, I'm always happy to help out when I can. So I think, yeah, that's pretty much it. So it, it's goodbye from me. And cool beans. Cheers, John. Goodbye from me. Yep. That was Critcast episode nine, the best number, returning to Warhammer Underworlds. Stay safe, stay informed, and keep rolling crits.